The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And even as we begin to move around a little, not in any tight way, of course, but just realizing, being interested in that quality of balance, it's really a a great contemplation to be holding. It's almost like a lens. And then with that lens of valuing balance, then all of a sudden the mind is naturally interested in however imbalance shows up in our life. Oh, that's interesting. Look at that, you know, imbalance whatever that might feel or look like, which is exactly, the you know, we want to be curious about the imbalance. So, uh, maybe I'll just share a little bit about um, this practice of non-harming, sila, ethical conduct, as a kind of, enlivening joy in life. And I really um, feel so strongly that we want to, like whatever attitude or histories we have around rules, the Ten Commandments or whatever it might be, around our behavior, you know, what I I like about how uh, the teachings in Buddhism It's really a path about understanding how to be happy, as probably any authentic spiritual tradition would be, right? I mean, that's the point. We're not interested in a path that makes us miserable. You know, we wouldn't sign up for that. And so ethical conduct, sila, living with integrity, learning to value non-harming, we really want to see it as it's described in the early Buddhist tradition. It's like developing a fragrance, yeah, your life, your um, sensitivity around non-harming is like a beautiful scent that wafts, goes everywhere. And they describe it, you know, in terms of Buddhist cosmology, your scent, your beautiful scent of sila, of living with integrity, it goes all the way to the most refined realms, like the angelic celestial realms, where even like the gods and goddesses or the beings of light and the beings of universal love, you know, all the, it's very complex in sort of Buddhist mythology of these different realms. And I think it's good to keep an open mind, you know, I say mythology, but Yeah, just have an open mind about everything. (laughs) That seems safest. And, uh, but it's such a powerful image, right? That, that some ordinary person walking around on some planet could cultivate a valuing of non-harming, a sensitivity around non-harming that they would exude 
such a beautiful fragrance that there would be no place that wouldn't notice. Somebody is living a really beautiful life somewhere. I smell it. <laughs> it's really kind of a nice image. At least I feel that way. And it's, it makes it a really, it's a beautiful motivation for us to get curious about that instead of thinking about, you know, like uh, the precepts that we often chant. And we'll do that tonight, maybe for those of you who are willing to come back for our 8.30 sit tonight, maybe right at the beginning of that, we'll chant the three refuges and five precepts. Um, you'll notice if you haven't looked carefully <clears throat> at the schedule for the retreat, at, after the schedule there's some links, including for the retreat chants. So if you click that, I'll, I'll put maybe the link in the chat so you can, during the walking time at 8 o'clock, you can make sure you have a copy, or I'll paste it in the chat too at 8.30 so you can see it there. But this is a nice chant just to do, both formally using the Pali language, but even just informally. And I mentioned earlier um, in the day that it's nice to have some recitation, some poems, some suttas or discourses, some teachings from one of your favorite teachers that you can recall and repeat back to yourself. Sometimes verbatim, sometimes paraphrasing, both have uh, sort of equal value. So I would do both. Like some things commit to memory, so you can, and some things you you have the depth of the meaning, so you can paraphrase it back to yourself. Because when the mind is really agitated and disturbed, making your mind repeat something that you've memorized, or asking your mind to remember the gist of an important teaching, it really causes the mind to let go of so much. It's a very powerful concentration mechanism when the mind is disturbed and like being with the breath is just not going to happen or being with loving kindness phrases even may not be so easy, right? And you can even do this like walking where you're... Um, as you're walking, you can recall, okay, what did my teacher, or what did I read in that chapter? And you really force your mind to stay with that topic. What what do I remember reading? You don't give up. And then you find one thing, you only remember one little thing, like some story that the writer had in that chapter about spiritual practice. But as you bring that chapter to mind, then all of a sudden, like a web, you start to remember more and more it. Because there's always a choice. It really matters what our mind is paying attention to. So much of the harm we do to ourselves and others, the, where we break sila, where we lose our beautiful scent, right? It's just the force of habit. You know, there's a lot of momentum drawing the mind back into cycles of greed, hatred, and delusion. These are the three unwholesome, animating forces in life. And so 
a lot of what we're doing when we're in the intensity of life is like, how can I keep my attention, keep my heart and mind in wholesome territory? And sometimes, like when things are intense, we need some gross tools, like making ourselves repeat something. <laughs> and for that 60 seconds or that two minutes, you know, we're in, we're in safe territory. And we want to, it's sort of like surrounding ourselves with friends who are relatively wholesome. We can do the same thing with our heart and mind. We're surrounding our heart and mind with wholesome ideas and wholesome memories of that teacher or that poem or that sutta, that discourse from the Buddha. And we feel the protection of the mind, paying attention, being in this territory, as opposed to being through the force of habit, complaining, blaming, you know, fantasizing, seeking revenge, spinning with cynicism, spinning with despair. And you know, the, the real violation of sila, it doesn't really happen because we're, you know, actively wanting to cause harm. It's like more often the harm we cause ourselves and others happens when we're drenched in unpleasantness for too long. You know, when we're just experiencing unpleasant mind states, unpleasant bodily states, unpleasant emotions, what happens when we're, all we're experiencing is unpleasant for too long? We just get angry. We just want to hit or hurt, right? We just kind of want to spread the pain. It's a little, I mean, it's not a little, it's tragic, but it really seems to be part of the nature of fear and aversion and hate when we're in the unpleasantness of life for too long, we just... And the other piece of that, like causing harm, is it, it just feels like too much to care about whether we're harming others. Oh, I, I, I'm just hurting too much. I'm hurting so much, it's no longer my responsibility to care whether I'm causing harm for others. That's got to be somebody else's responsibility because I'm hurting too much. So it's not about judging ourselves. It's about gaining skill. So like I mentioned earlier this morning, you know, it's, it's not so easy for us to be a wise and loving human being when we're overwhelmed with pain. So how can I cultivate wholesome, pleasant states for my heart and mind and body? And the Buddha, you know, like so much, it's, he makes it very clear. He calls them the three avenues of merit, like how to set in motion on this very ordinary level. We're not talking about the deepest sort of degrees of release and freedom. He's really talking on this ordinary egoic level 
I'm a person who wants to feel good. And his response to us would be, okay, you want to feel good? Cultivate dana, generosity, this non-stinginess of our heart. Cultivate sila, this deepening, this deeper and deeper valuing of non-harming. And train your mind to be present. Because if you do those, if you really put energy into generosity, non-harming, and stabilizing present moment awareness, good things will happen. It's not like, it's kind of like putting, gradually putting money in the bank and ending up with a lot of money. It's not like we're going to be rich overnight, but it really changes the course of our life. And I know that sounds a little magical, but it's worth being just inspired enough to check it out. <laughs> like really see. What happens if I systematically train my heart to be valuing non-stinginess, generosity, and non-harming, kindness, it just this enlivening capacity to refrain from acting out those tendencies of my heart that cause others harm, right? Like taking things that aren't mine or insulting somebody because I can, because I have power in that moment. You know, I know exactly what to say to make them feel badly and I'm going to say it because they made me feel badly or, you know, I'm not feeling good and somehow it feels juicy to throw the pain around, right? So, uh, and then the last one, you know, the uh, just the realizing that it really matters how I'm showing up and what I'm paying attention to. So I need this instrument of my heart to be stable, to be balanced, so it can be fully here. And that's really the flavor of this training the mind is that fullness of presence. And I like that word fullness because it it really uh, evokes that kind of exposure of intimacy. Like it's not a removed, I'm observing, but from this distant place, something far away. And like I mentioned in the guided sit, there's a lot of st stability, a lot of solidity when the heart is fully open. Because there's less that can surprise or disturb the balance because it's like we've grown rootlets everywhere into the moment. We're here and now in the body, in the sensitive heart, in the thinking mind. Because right? awareness has that capacity to be all-inclusive. It's really part of the definition of samadhi training the mind to be fully present, is that nothing's left out, which sounds a lot like love, nothing thrown out of the heart, right? So um, the chant, and, and Shelley has uh, pasted the link for the Refuges and Precepts, so for those of you who want your own copy, 
or you can look at it even now. I'll just go through them quickly and then save a little time in case there are any questions about that, about them rather. Um, But it's nice to have a ritual like chanting the precepts, chanting the refuges and precepts. And I'd encourage you to, to sort of memorize it as a formal recitation, but don't always do it in a formal way. Maybe you can alternate, but sometimes at least just uh, contemplate or reflect on each of the five precepts. So the first one is undertaking the training to refrain from harming living beings. Get my own copy in front of me. I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. And uh, so whether you're doing it formally, where you do the Pali, Panita Pata, where Amani, Sika, Padang, Samariami, then maybe say the English, and then give yourself a little time to, like, what is, what in my life, what in my heart and mind is illuminated when I say those words? Because it might, you know, like saying those words sincerely, basically connecting with that value, then it might bring up some memories of where that's compromised. I'll give you an example. This is more, it's related to both the first precept and the fourth precept. Musa, Wada, where Amani, Sika, Padang, Samadhi, Ami. I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. Harsh speech, um, slanderous speech, speech that's not true, and even idle speech. But I, I was listening to the news a few days ago, and uh, they were reporting on some incident, and uh, somebody who had been wronged, and then what they were going to do about it. And I, my mind judged the, the person. <laughs> of course, I don't know this person. I didn't even know that many details, just, you know, 30-second news piece. But I had this judgment of the person. And fortunately, in the next moment, I noticed I had judged that person and, and kind of thrown them out of my heart, like, just put them in a little box. Oh, this is what they're doing. But it was sort of demeaning, you know, that inner voice. Well, actually, I, and I said something out loud, because when was there? Um, just a few words, like, oh, you know, they're, something about like, oh, they're just setting themselves up for a payout, you know, like in a lawsuit, that kind of thing. And, um, but it was a real sort of dismissing of that, like I understood that person's intention wasn't skillful, you know, that critical mind, oh, they're just, you know, playing the system, getting what they want. And, uh, and it, and it really like the, and then that next moment when I noticed my heart, it's like, oh, that's not who I want to be. Those are not the kinds of seeds I want to be planting. I don't want to be the person who can, who is sort of like quick to put everybody in a box that is all about their worst, you know, the worst scenario, the worst tendencies of that person and kind of define them that way. 
It doesn't mean that it, I was wrong even in my discernment or my analysis, right? Who knows? But even if I was completely right about that person's motivation, it's like, one, I don't know, and two, even if I was right on, on some level, it doesn't define that person. Whatever sort of, even if they had an unwholesome intention that they were acting out, that's not the full truth of that person. But in my mind, you know, when I did that, it was as if it was the full truth. There was no compassion, there was no breadth and depth of understanding. And I lost my happiness, right? These little choices to... And because, you know, I care about my speech and I care about non-harming and I've been caring about it for a while, luckily it stood out. Didn't keep me, right? These tendencies, they're not going to go away <laughs> just because we're caring about non-harming. It's the caring about non-harming that's going to illuminate all of these tendencies. That's what we want. And eventually, they'll be illuminated and we won't hate ourselves for being hateful or for being judgmental or for being you know, greedy or for whatever tendencies we see. We'll see them and we'll relate to them with generosity, this generous heart that goes, oh honey, you know, you can be a creep sometimes, and I and I still love you, and and that doesn't help, you know, the acting out of that tendency doesn't help anybody. Certainly doesn't help you, and that's what wears out these tendencies. So the second one, I undertake the training to refrain from taking what, taking that which is which is not given. The nice thing, these are really meant to be contemplations. Right? It doesn't say, you know, you can take one cookie, but two cookies are too much. Like, what does that mean not to take what, isn't, what, what hasn't been given to us? Because it really begs questions. I mean, to me, this is a very alive issue. It was easier when I was younger, a young adult, because I didn't really... I kind of made choices where I never really had much money. Just, I mean, it was always comfortable enough, you know, um, but I never really had any excess money just because of the choices I've made and, and the choices that when my partner made around livelihood. But now, you know, I'm kind of slid into middle class existence, you know, and I'm saving for retirement and, and it's like, uh, it really like not take it, well, what is mine? Because it isn't really mine, even though it, it's my bank account has my name on it. But it's really our, all of these things are our resources. And there are all these needs, including my own, right? And how do we, it's like very alive. And what our more primitive mind or whatever you, we want to call it, habit-based mind wants to do is, no, no, you get that or you can have that. But it's much more dynamic and alive than any like this or that. It's not black and white, it's not clear, it's ambiguous. And it keeps us, like the only way to handle that is just to take refuge and caring about not stealing, not having more than we need, 
because it's caring about it that makes us feel alive and makes us feel good. And not caring about it makes us feel stingy and not good. And that's the thing we have to learn to trust. Like, how does it feel to be me when I'm being stingy? How does it feel to be me when I'm not being stingy? How does it feel to be me when it's like, I don't want to lose my money I put aside for my retirement? Like, how does it feel to be living that way? But to be negligent, like to think it doesn't matter, how does that feel? And so, you see how it really promotes sensitivity, because right? we don't have a plan. And that's really, I think, the takeaway with these trainings in Sila and the trainings of the five precepts, right? It's not a set plan. It's like uh, the wonderful thing Shelley said earlier today about the path, right, and refuge. It doesn't, uh, I think I think what they said is that uh, that our refuge doesn't give us answers, it just gives us a path, right? And that's like Sila's part of that path. It's not answers, like do this, don't do that. It's really a way into greater and greater sensitivity. And that's, that's just another way of talking about that balance and that exposure. It's like there's no way to solid ground. We have to learn to get comfortable with the exposure and Sila is a great place. Because like, what does it mean not to harm? What do we do with the spiders on the windowsill? And what do we do when we want cheese and can't afford the organic cheese and we care about the cows, you know, or we need meat to have a healthy body, and but we don't want to cause harm to the animals? It's not easy answers. Or where we buy our clothes from. Or what do we do about our sexuality? That's the third precept, undertaking the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. When we're on retreat, we just refrain from sexual activity for those few days. But a lot of us, you know, in our daily lives, we're sexual beings, expressing our sexuality in a way that feels, you know, enlivening. But we realize it's very easy because it cuts deep the you know sexual relationships sexual activities it can we can cause a lot of harm so we want to highlight that like how to be a sexual being without it's really for me it's really about how we use the power that we have in relationships and just knowing that we have power we have privilege how are we, it's not about not having power or privilege, right? It's about understanding we do have power. And, and our sexual relationships definitely shows up. I mentioned the fourth, I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. The fifth, I undertake the training to refrain from intoxic intoxicating drinks and drugs which lead to carelessness. This isn't harmful or bad in and of itself. It's just the sensitivity of balance that I've been talking about, right? If, we if we're intoxicated, 
we lose that sensitivity. And when we lose that sensitivity, it's easier. It's like if we really value not causing ourselves and others harm, we really value sensitivity. So we don't want to dull the faculties too much because we really value being intimate. We really value feeling what's going on. You know how it is when our mind is a little intoxicated, even with too much caffeine. It's just easier to say things that we then later regret. <laughs> I, I mean, it is a relatively common occurrence for me, if I'm feeling a little dead to the world, to do too much green tea late in the afternoon and then to teach a class high on green tea and and then after the class feel like my energy was a little off. And, and there's actual very poignant regret, like, oh, oh, I felt that way actually today. I forget exactly, I guess it was... It might have been the afternoon session, but I can't remember if it was the morning session or the afternoon. I'm not sure that was about green tea. It's probably more about the general activation that most of us are feeling with so much emotion in our in our nation right now. But uh, yeah, just like just the kind of energy and the way I answered some questions. So maybe it was the afternoon when I was answering some questions and uh, just not being sensitive enough. And it, and it reverberates in my heart. And I'm happy that it reverberates in my heart, but it doesn't feel good. But it's real. It's a natural motivation like, oh, I, I really don't want to lose that grounded sensitivity, that beautiful balance. It's like that's the one friend we really rely on. It's a real cause for happiness. And they feed each other, you know, the sort of respecting generosity, respecting non-harming, and respecting that stability of balance, they really deliver happiness. <laughs> and it would be good just, you know, not just the sila piece, the valuing non-harming, but really broaden it out tonight, tomorrow, like during a walk or during a part of a sit, just reflect from your own experience how you already, to some degree, value generosity and are suspicious of stinginess. How you already value, feel committed to not causing harm and are suspicious when you feel like you can justify gossiping about somebody or insulting somebody or taking a little bit more than you should when it's not really yours to take and really valuing that stability of balance and and feel like, appropriately, like it's a little dangerous when my mind's out of balance because I'm capable of not seeing clearly and acting on that lack of clarity and causing problems for myself and others. So let's take the... Let's come back at uh, 8.35, so we have a full 30 minutes. And uh, we'll do the chant, and then we'll just sit in silence for about 25 minutes, and we'll end a little bit after 9 o'clock. So hopefully you have energy to come back and join us for that.
Otherwise, we'll see everybody at 8.30 in the morning. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.